Do you schedule and host events in the Jewish community? Conferences, webinars, local events? Please consider adding your events to Jcast Network's newest project, the Jewish Communal Events Calendar. Don't schedule events, but know someone who does? Invite them to add their events. If we all work together, we can create another wonderful resource for the Jewish community. Visit our calendar and post your events at jcastnetwork.org slash jcbc. You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. I want to talk for a moment today about how we talk to our children and how we answer our children's questions. And I want to talk about this not in terms of any of our own personal relationships with our own children, if we're blessed to have them, but about how we as a Jewish community talk to the children of our Jewish community. How we as an older generation of Jews communicate and talk to and respond to the questions of a younger generation of Jews. And it should come as no surprise to anybody that a younger generation of Jews is going to come to the table with a set of worldviews and assumptions and, uh, and, and perspectives that will inevitably, for good or ill, be different than the generation that precedes them. That will always happen. That's not a unique feature of our time. That has been true throughout human history. That a subsequent generation will come to the table with a different set of assumptions, which lead to a different set of questions, and maybe even challenges, than their parents' and grandparents' generations had. Why am I thinking about this? I'm thinking about this for two reasons. The first is a Passover reason. The Passover reason, of course, is that so much of the Seder is revolved around the questions of children. It's predicated on the questions of children. We construct the Seder to invite and elicit the questions of our children. So we start the Seder with the four questions, which are typically recited by the youngest person at the Seder. And those are really prototypical. The only reason we have those four questions um, is because they're just in case the children at your Seder don't have questions of their own, so we give them some questions to ask. But they're also welcome to ask those questions on their own volition. We have the symbols at the Seder uh, primarily to elicit questions from children. And so the four questions can be what the children ask, or they can ask their own questions instead of or above and beyond those questions. And we also, I think tellingly, have a uh, description of four different kinds of children that ask four different kinds of questions at the Seder. And those are, uh, that's a famous passage. We're going to come back to that passage in a moment. But so I have been thinking about how we as an older generation of Jews answer the questions, respond to the challenges of a younger generation of Jews. So I was thinking about this from a Passover perspective. 
And I was also thinking about it from a current events perspective. Because if you follow the news, you've been following, especially if you follow the Jewish news, uh, which is a certain subsection of the news that a hundred people pay attention to. I'm one of them. Um, so I'm going to tell you in case you don't know. Uh, what, uh, what, happened over, what happened over the past uh, few weeks, it was an exposure of a growing and uh, widening rift between the established Jewish community of a particular generation and the emerging Jewish community of a younger generation. So the rift is the major fault line in the rift, although there are several fault lines in the rift, but the major fault line in the rift is primarily over the question of Israel. And this rift is exposed in a number of ways. It was exposed uh, a few weeks ago when... uh, APAC, the large American uh, Israel pro-Israel lobby, uh, had their annual conference, which was attended by 18,000 people or more, the biggest APAC conference in history. I was there. Uh, GD was there. An incredible showing and demonstration of Jewish communal uh, solidarity and support for Israel, powerful and strong, uh, a real reflection of the, of the incredible influence and power that Jews have in America. But there was um, incredible uproar uh, in the Jewish community, particularly in the younger segment of the Jewish community, at least in the non-Orthodox segment of the younger Jewish community, over APAC's uh, decision to invite Donald Trump to come and speak at the conference. Then, Bernie Sanders, who did not speak at the APAC conference, which may be a topic for another conversation, uh, hired uh, as his Jewish outreach coordinator a young woman named Simone Zimmerman, who... uh, rose to prominence within uh, the uh, younger segment of the liberal Jewish community as a very vocal and passionate uh, liberal Zionist voice. Liberal Zionism, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the term, Zionism, of course, is the term referring to someone who believes uh, in the the necessity uh, and importance of the establishment of a a Jewish nation-state. Right? in previous iterations of Jewish history, that may or may not have required that nation state to be uh, in the historical land of Israel. But given uh, both history and historical realities, we now live in a, in a time, thankfully, I think, where for over 60 years, nearly 70 years, um, we have had a Jewish nation state in the historical land of Israel. But liberal, thank God. Thank God um, Liberal Zionism uh, supports that political and ideological notion, but approaches it from a perspective of liberal values. And the major concern, although liberal Zionists have several concerns, but one of the major concerns that liberal Zionism has is the ongoing conflict between um, Israel and the Palestinians, and in particular, the the ongoing uh, multi-decade control that Israel has over uh, the West Bank and Gaza. And so liberal Zionists agitate for, uh, or tend to agitate, 
for uh, the relinquishment of Israeli control over those territories uh, and the forging of a two-state solution and uh, brokered peace or negotiated peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. That's what liberal Zionists agitate for. And Simone Zimmerman is a, is a leading young voice uh, in the liberal Jewish community uh, for the liberal Zionist perspective. And so Bernie Sanders' campaign hired her as their Jewish outreach coordinator. And upon the announcement of her hire, she became the target of uh, deliberate and direct assaults from the uh, from the more conservative, older Jewish establishment, attacking her as anti-Semitic, attacking her as anti-Jewish, attacking her as anti-Zionist. None of which are, of course, true. If you are to follow, if you were to follow her uh, writings and her and her uh, teaching, she's a young woman. Um, uh, but but all of which constructed by an a segment of the Jewish community that looks upon a younger segment of the Jewish community that approaches the what an older segment of the Jewish community uh, perceives to be a foundational ideal from a different perspective and in, and instead of engaging them in conversation about it strives to exclude excommunicate punish those perspectives, and those people. And then, a couple of days ago, a group of uh, liberal Zionist uh, uh, activists with uh, an organization called If Not Now, uh, which is, uh, of course, a a line taken from a famous uh, Mishnah uh, by by the sage uh, Hillel that says, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? If I am for myself alone, what am I? And if not now, when? So this organization um, is a liberal Zionist organization that is striving for what they would term as peace now, right? If not now, when? We want uh, a, a peace of the Palestinians now. We want uh, relinquishment of control of the West Bank and Gaza now, right? If not now. And they staged a sit-in uh, at uh, the headquarters of the Anti-Defamation League uh, in New York. Uh, the Anti-Defamation League uh, is uh, typically associated with, uh, with a, a fairly conservative perspective on, uh, on supporting Israel, what it means to support Israel and to support the Zionist cause. Uh, and, um, and, and so there was, uh, 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 so the ADL called security had uh, some of those activists arrested uh, and exposed a, a, a wide rift that exists between an older, more established segment of the Jewish community, and a growing number of their kids, our kids, who don't approach Israel with the same set of values, with the same assumptions, and from the same perspective. Now, I don't necessarily want to get into the politics of who's right in this conflict. Who's right in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and who's right in the conflict among the what we'll call the uh, Jewish establishment and uh, the emerging younger generation of liberal Zionists? I don't want to get into the politics of it because I don't think that the question is who's right in the debate. That's not what I think is uh, pertinent here. What I think is pertinent is how we as an older generation of 
Jews, an established generation within the Jewish community, engage and relate to an emerging younger generation that approaches something that we hold as sacred from a different perspective and with a different set of values, with a different approach than we might hold. And I think that the Haggadah embodies a response to that very question. So if we were to look at the passage that deals with the four children, the first two of those are the Chacham and the Rasha. Chacham is the wise child, the Rasha is the wicked child or the rebellious child, uh, the chutzpahdik child. We're not really sure exactly how to translate that, but one of those things. And here's what they both ask, okay? I'm going to read them to you. Chacham mahu omer. So what does the wise child say? Ma ha'edot v'hachukim v'hamishpatim asher tziva Adonai Eloheinu Erchem. What are the laws and the statutes and the testimonies that the Lord, our God, has commanded you? And so you should answer him according to the laws of Passover. You should tell him that we do not have an apikoman after the Pesach. We don't have dessert after we eat the Paschal offering. That should be the last thing we eat, which now is represented by the apikoman itself. Rasha mahu omer. So the wicked child, what does he say? What is this service to you? Lachem velo lo. To you and not to him. And since he has excluded himself from the general population, from, from the basic principles of Jewish, uh, of Jewish community, he is a, a, a fundamental apostate. So you should put his teeth on edge or respond to him bluntly. And say to him, Because of this, God did for me when I left Egypt. Li velolo. For me and not for him. Ilu hayasham lo nigal. If he was there, he wouldn't have been redeemed. Okay, those are the two uh, questions and the two responses, uh, respectively, of the wise child and the wicked child. It strikes me, and I'm sure it's not lost on many of you, that the questions that the wise child and the wicked child ask are nearly identical questions. Look at them closely. The wise child says, what are the testimonies, the statutes, and the laws which the Lord our God has commanded you? And the wicked child says, what is this service to you? In response to one we give a positive, encouraging answer of inclusion. In response to the other, we give a harsh answer predicated on their self-exclusion from the community. Except both of them say, what is this service to you and not to them? So what's the difference between the wise child and the wicked child? I think there's really only one difference which is that the wise child, even though he asks, what is the service to you? He also says, Asher tziva Adonai Eloheinu, that the Lord our God has commanded. 
So the wise child has a challenge to the parents. What is this to you? But in that challenge is a perspective of self-inclusion, self-identification with the fundamental values of the Jewish tradition. A sense that I want to know what this means to you, but know that I have a stake in the answer. I have skin in the game. I care about what your answer is. The wicked child, on the other hand, doesn't say Adonai Eloheinu, doesn't say the Lord our God, just says, what is this to you? So the wicked child's statement is one of self-exclusion, or is understood as a statement of self-exclusion. He's not incorporating himself in the answer. He's not saying that he has skin in the game. He just wants to know, what or challenge, what the answer is to uh, his parents' generation. Now, if we were to look at those two categories... Which category would you put this young emerging generation of liberal Jews who are ad- advocating and agitating for a particular approach to the, uh, to, to the question of Zionism, to the question of Israel, not from a perspective of hating Jews, not from a perspective of abandoning the Jewish community, but rather based on their own self-reporting, based on their own analysis, their perspective comes from as an expression of their fundamental Jewish values. They look at the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and they say what's happening is not a reflection of Jewish values as I understand them. And as somebody who has a stake in the future of the Jewish people, as someone who wants to be part of the Jewish community, as someone who, forever and ever, as somebody who cares about Jewish values and Jewish teachings and Jewish wisdom, I challenge what is happening in the status quo. That's what this generation is asking. But it's not even only true of liberal Zionists. I would even say that one could make the argument of Jews who are non-Zionist. And there are a growing number of young Jews who are non-Zionist. There, by the way, before the advent of the state of Israel, there were a lot of Jews who were non-Zionist and a lot of Jews who were anti-Zionist. But I would say it's even true of many Jews who are non-Zionist. Non-Zionist means that they're somewhat indifferent about the question of whether or not there should be a Jewish state. They're not necessarily against it, but they're somewhat indifferent to it, and they might have various reasons for that. But that perspective isn't in itself a statement of rejection of being part of the Jewish community and of the Jewish people. If that perspective is informed by a person's feeling of belonging to the Jewish people, is informed by their own sense of Jewish values and is applied in a way different from how we would approach that question, they, I think, are reflecting the same kind of question that the wise child asks, not the wicked child. He's saying that you might have a different perspective, the wise child is saying. What is this to you? But I'm including myself in the answer to that question. And I would suggest that those people within our community that approach these difficult third rail questions 
with different answers than we would give if they're approaching it from a perspective of self-inclusion, self-identification with the Jewish community, they fall into the first category, not the second. I would say the same is true of many different kinds of Jews with many different kinds of perspectives, including people who are anti-Zionist. It's not good. I, I, I hear you. Uh, and I'm not saying I agree with it. What I'm saying is that it is possible, it has, it has been true many times in our history, for a person to deliberately not want a political Jewish commonwealth and still have a self-identification, feeling of self-inclusion within the Jewish community, ask the challenging questions of the generation that supports the Zionist cause, and still be in the first category of the wise child who asks the challenging question from a perspective of self-inclusion, and not the wicked child who asks the question from a perspective of self-exclusion. And so when we as an organized, established, older segment of the Jewish community encounter a generation that poses challenging questions, it behooves us to ask and to be honest with ourselves and to confront the uncomfortable, perhaps, reality that they are not asking those questions out of a sense of rejection of Jewish ideals, out of rejection of their Jewish identity, but rather from a sense that that's a manifestation of their Jewish values and their Jewish ideals. And how would we engage those people? How would we engage that generation differently if we were to put them in the first category of the wise child rather than in the second category of the wicked child? How would that inform our response? And how would that, how would that facilitate the strength of our broader community? A community that was more inclusive, a community that enabled and supported the development of our young people even when they disagree with us. But let's say you don't agree with anything that I just said. That's I, have a definite, I have a definite answer. Okay. Can we talk about it at Kiddush? I just want to give this last point, Helen, okay? Um, so what if you don't agree with anything I, I just said? What if you don't agree with anything I just said? Which is fine. Here's what I think is salient. Let's say you put all of those people, the Simone Zimmermans of the world, you put them in the category of the Russia. Here's the beauty and wisdom of the Seder. The Rasha, along with the three siblings of the Rasha, still has a place at the table. Still has a place within the community. Still has a voice in communal conversations. Still has a place to level their concerns and their challenges. It might inform how we respond to them if we consider them to be a rasha. But what the Haggadah tells us is that we do not have a right to exclude them from the community. Passover is a holiday of inclusion. The Seder is a ritual 
of inclusion. It reminds us that we have a responsibility not to turn away the next generation regardless of the perspective that they bring to the table. To bring them in under our embrace. To engage their questions even if they are challenging. To learn from their questions, especially when they're challenging. And more than anything else, to remain at the table together in conversation.